Hello, and welcome to episode 53 of the Giants of the Faith podcast. I'm Robert Daniels, and I'm the host of this show. This is the podcast where we look at men and women from the age of the church whose lives have had an impact for the kingdom of God. And today we're continuing our series of episodes focused on hymn writers by looking at the queen of gospel songwriters, Fanny Crosby. But before we get to that, I've got a couple of recommendations for you guys. Uh, These are not advertisements, just uh, personal recommendations. I like to point out cool things that I think are relevant to this audience on occasion, and today I'm recommending two study Bibles. My primary personal study Bible is the ESV Reformation Study Bible, which was edited by R.C. Sproul. It's a great Bible full of study notes from a Reformed perspective. I believe it's only available in ESV right now, but you can probably find pre-owned copies in NKJV if you're so inclined. I have the standard leather version, but you can get it in anything from hardback to premium leather in regular, condensed, or even student varieties. You might recall I did an episode on R.C. Sproul a little while back, and I believe I mentioned that he's a personal hero of mine. If you feel the same way, you should definitely check this Bible out. I've also recently picked up another new study Bible, the CSB Ancient Faith Study Bible. Now, it's kind of unique in that it uses notes from church fathers like Augustine, Tertullian, Athanasius, and a bunch more as its study notes. Uh, It also includes profiles of several church fathers and feature articles that I think you would find interesting. I got the premium goatskin version on very deep discount at lifeway.com recently. Uh, So check those out if you're so inclined. Okay, so back to the subject at hand. Frances Jane Crosby was born on March 24, 1820 in Brewster, New York. Her parents were John and Mercy Crosby. Fanny was proud to come from an early American family. Her family tree included men who came to the Americas on the Mayflower, as well as some of the founders of Harvard College. Other famous people in her family tree included the preacher and scholar Howard Crosby, as well as, a little later on, the Christmas stalwart Bing Crosby. Fanny was a proud member of both the Daughters of the Mayflower and the Daughters of the American Revolution Society. She was less proud, however, that her parents were cousins, possibly even first cousins, and as she got later on in life, she refused to even address the issue. Fanny was blind from a very young age, possibly even from birth. Fanny believed that she was born sighted, but when she was about six weeks old, she developed an inflammation of the eyes, and the story goes that the family doctor was out of town when Fanny became ill, and that another man, only pretending to be a doctor, prescribed a treatment of hot mustard poultices for the child. This treatment, while it did reduce the swelling, also left Fanny blind and the supposed doctor fled the area. Now, modern doctors suggest that Crosby may have in fact been born blind, and that her blindness went undetected because of her age. Either way, she grew up and lived virtually her whole life blind. Now, blindness wasn't the only tragedy to befall the infant Fanny. When she was only six months old, her father died, and her mother had to go to work as a maid in order to provide for the family. So consequently, Mercy's mother played a large part in raising Fanny. Now that wasn't all bad because the women were strong Christians and they gave Fanny a firm foundation in the Christian faith. They helped her to learn and memorize large portions of scripture. 
Uh, while she was a child, she learned to recite the Pentateuch, the Gospels, Proverbs, Song of Solomon, and many of the Psalms just from memory. And she also developed a love of poetry, and she was a very active participant in her local church. One thing that was great about Fanny is that she was not bitter about her condition. She would later write, Blindness cannot keep the sunlight of hope from the trustful soul. One of the easiest resolves that I formed in my young and joyous heart was to leave all care to yesterday, and to believe that the morning would bring forth its own peculiar joy. In fact, her first short poem, written at age eight, captured her outlook perfectly. Oh, what a happy soul I am, although I cannot see. I am resolved that in this world, contented I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. To weep and sigh because I'm blind, I cannot and I won't. In 1835, when Fanny was 15, she moved to New York City to enroll at the New York Institute for the Blind, which had been founded just a few short years earlier in 1831. She'd spend the next 23 years of her life there as both a student and a teacher. At times, life was difficult at the Institute. The headmaster was known to be a particularly difficult, and for a time he discouraged Fanny from indulging in her passion for verse. Now that changed for Fanny when a phrenologist visited the Institute. A phrenologist is one who studies the shape and bumps of a person's head in order to try to understand their mental abilities and their character. Now, it's a laughable practice today, but at the time it was well respected. Anyway, this phrenologist examined her and declared her to be a natural poetess who would one day be very well known. And laughable or not, the man was prophetic. It was in New York that a world of opportunities opened for her. Fanny made quite an impression on the luminaries and celebrities that visited the Institute. Her ability to compose verse and rhyme was impressive, and she used her skills to provide readings and songs for learning, for chapel, for private enjoyment, as well as for public use by the Institute. She also learned to play the organ, piano, harp, and guitar during her time there. Uh, while she was there, she met a young Grover Cleveland. Uh, Grover and his brother worked as teachers for a time, and he befriended the blind woman. The two would often spend hours together at the end of the school day, and he would transcribe her works for her. Later, when Cleveland served as President of the United States, she visited him often at the White House. In 1843, Fanny became a lobbyist for the blind in Washington, D.C. In this capacity, she became the first woman to address the U.S. Senate as she read a poem encouraging education for the blind. In 1844, she was part of a concert given by students from the Institute for members of Congress. And in 1845, President Polk visited the Institute and Fanny sang and performed music that she had written for the occasion. During her life, she met every U.S. president from John Quincy Adams to Woodrow Wilson, 21 in all. But what Fanny is most remembered for today are her hymns. During her lifetime, she composed more than 9,000 hymns. And most are forgotten, but many are still well-known and loved. Some you might recognize include Blessed Assurance, to God be the glory, all the way the Savior leads me, and many more. 
She was so prolific that often musicians would come to her for lyrics to go with music that they themselves had written. And one story goes like this. On April 30th, 1868, a composer friend, William Howard Doan, knocked on Fanny's door. He was an unexpected and uninvited, though not unwelcome, guest. Doan was on his way to Cincinnati to a Sunday school convention, and he wanted to bring a new hymn with him. He'd already written the music, but he didn't have the words, and he wanted Fanny's help. The problem? His train was set to leave in 40 minutes. He played the tune for her on the piano, and he asked for her help. Fanny had been thinking on Deuteronomy 33.27 that day, which reads, The eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. And he shall thrust out the enemy from before thee, and shall say, Destroy them. As Doan played his tune, Fanny began to write. And when she was finished, she folded up the sheet of paper, placed it in an envelope, gave it to Doan, and told him to hurry to the station and to read the hymn on the train. Now the resulting song, Safe in the Arms of Jesus, became very popular as a lullaby and as a funeral hymn, and it was even played at the funeral of President Ulysses S. Grant, and she knocked it all out in less than 40 minutes. But fame and fortune were not the aim of Fanny's hymn writing. She had a missional mindset, and she set a personal goal to bring one million men and women to Christ through her music. She prayed diligently over every hymn she published, and she kept studious records of conversions that she heard about that were related to her songs. She wrote in such a way as to give glory and honor to God in a way that was relatable by the common man. Throughout her life as one of the most famous women in America, she maintained a servant's heart. She taught Sunday school, volunteered at homeless shelters and poorhouses, and in the 1840s when a cholera epidemic swept through New York City, rather than flee as many did, she stayed behind to nurse the sick and dying at the Institute. She contracted the disease herself, but did recover, and she never tired of doing the Lord's work. Fanny did not use her blindness as a tool for self-pity either. She embraced it, and she used it as a tool for the furtherance of the kingdom of God. She once told a preacher that felt sorry for her blindness, Do you know that if at birth I had been able to make one petition, it would have been that I was born blind? Because when I get to heaven, the first face that shall ever gladden my sight will be that of my Savior. Fanny Crosby is an inspiration to Christians today, and she lives on through her music and her story. And she is a true giant of the faith. Well, thanks very much for listening to this episode. If you have any comments or corrections, please send them along to podcast at giantsofthefaith.com. Until next time, God bless. 